sons and daughters. Whoa, 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 hold up. All stop. Of course Mary knew. That's what we're going to talk about today on the Catholic Hack Christmas Special. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean, and this is episode number 74. It's the Christmas special. And as you could tell from the very beginning, I'm not a big fan of Mary, did you know? And I'm sure I'm one of only few Christians in the entire world who probably feels that way. Everybody I know, at least up until today, seems to love that song. You know what I have a problem with? Is the premise that starts with, Mary didn't know. Maybe that's just how I'm interpreting it. Maybe I'm being over-scrupulous, and and I I grant that. Maybe that's the case. And if that is, well, then so be it. But I really feel in my heart of hearts that at the core of this song is a real doubt of Mary's knowledge. And maybe I will stand alone on this topic, but I truly feel Mary had knowledge more than we can really understand Oh, of course, she, she she couldn't have told you that, oh, well, on this day in Jesus' life, he'll walk on water. But, oh, on this day in Jesus' life, the nails will pierce his hands. Or could she? Well, that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about today. And so at the very least, you should be entertained. Amused, hopefully, for the next hour. At the very best, maybe you'll learn something. Maybe so will I. Because that's the goal. As we've prepared all Advent season for this day, the birth of our Lord, the light that shines in darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Redemption comes to the world and takes on human flesh. This is a glorious day. The birth of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But before we get into all that, and I'm so raring to go, before we get into all that, let's let's say a prayer, as we like to do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all glorious and wondrous God, praise you, praise you, praise you, Lord Father, praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, praise you, O Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, Redeemer of mankind, Creator of all the universe, Lover of our souls. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Walk with us every day. Come and find us, hiding in the bushes, and pull us out. 
and redeem us. Restore our dignity as the son and daughter of the Father. For this we seek His grace, His mercy. And Holy Father, I pray and I lift up to You all those who need You tonight, broken families who seek to make whole what has now been lost. The dead who die without knowing your even your even your sweet name as lord and king redeemer savior prince of all princes i pray for them or if no one else can pray for them then i pray for them have mercy on them for the dying for the dying who have no one there to care for them send forth your angels send forth your saints here on earth and provide for all their needs, the ones right now suffering, cold in this, this weather of ours. Hungry, no food, no love, no love. God, have mercy on us and encourage us to love one another, to love this world to you. For those who suffer without purpose, I pray that they will find purpose in you and your suffering that we can all bow down and worship and bend our knee to the Lord God Jesus Christ who came and humiliated himself to take on flesh and become one of us? That means that you love us. And so thank you for that. So inspire us in this episode to seek you, to hear your voice in the journey, to seek you in the wilderness to seek you in the milk and honey, but to seek you and to find you. We pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've got a journey to go on. We're going to find our way through salvation history once again and find ourselves there adoring our Lord, humbled in a manger, in a cave, on the side of a hill in Bethlehem. So without further ado, let's roll up our sleeves and let's dive deep and get into the truth about the Christmas story. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! This school when I sit, even just a little bit, I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. Can't get enough, got to come back for some more. Hey, we've got a problem here. Send every In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall befall you in days to come. Assemble and hear, O sons of Jacob, and hearken to Israel your father. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his fowl to the vine and his ass's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down but having his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not nigh. A star shall come forth out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. The Lord your God 
will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brethren, him you shall heed. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Harob on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They have rightly said all that they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May his foes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, 
the days are coming, says the Lord, when men shall no longer say, As the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children, because they are not. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in travail has brought forth. Then the rest of his brethren shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer. 
dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height, in ancient times did give the law, in clouds of majesty and awe. We've stepped through time to hear once again to refresh our memories of those Old Testament passages that show us what the people were longing for, what had been promised, and what were they looking for. We didn't even read them all, only a sprinkling of them. We heard the promise of the Lord God in the cool of the day, walking in the garden that he would make right what Adam and Eve made wrong. That he would bring forth salvation out of this mess. We heard the words of Moses say to the people that a greater prophet than he would come. We heard Jacob bless his sons and say that the scepter would not depart from Judah and from Judah would come the ruler. We heard that the star will rise and that kings would come and pay homage to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it would be from the branch, the stump of Jesse, the line of David. We heard that a virgin would bear a child and restore Israel. We heard that one would be sent before him to make straight the paths, to prepare the way for the new covenant. And it's all right there, all in the Old Testament. They were longing for him, seeking him out, waiting for him anxiously for that day when Israel would be restored and the new covenant put in place for eternity. And the king, the heir of David himself, sat on his rightful throne, never to leave it again. We heard all of that. And so now we're ready. 
we're ready to dive deep into these New Testament passages of the nativity of our Lord. But let me restate the problem that I brought up in the very beginning of the show. Mary, did you know? That song that so many love, and I happen to not love. Why? Because I feel it starts from a position that Mary didn't know. And that's just their way of sort of minimalizing Mary's role. Once again, if I'm overstating it, then so be it. I don't think I am. But if I am, then hey, that's just the way it is. But I want to show that Mary... Mary did know. Oh, she might not have known perfectly. But I want to show that she knew a lot more than we let her know. And I kind of mean it that way too. And that's kind of the the way I want to approach and sort of use that as a springboard to talk about some of these narratives. Let's start in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Here we see a scene of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Both come from the line of Levi. You see, Elizabeth was a daughter of Aaron, we're told. Zechariah is a priest. You know, St. Bede said, Zechariah and Elizabeth represent the priesthood and law of the Old Covenant. Both were righteous, as the priesthood was holy and the law was good. But together they were unable to bear children for God or bring forth the grace of Christ. The couple thus signifies the aging Old Covenant awaiting the blessing of the new. These aren't bad people, they're great people. They strove to fulfill the law, to live the law, to do all that God had commanded them to do. And in their society, not having children was very negative, very bad. People looked at that as though Elizabeth was disfavored by God. Yet she was faithful. And Zechariah had been praying. And here it is, Zechariah belongs to one of the 24 divisions of priests. And he actually belongs to the 8th division. And it was his turn to worship at temple. While he's serving in the temple, he abstains from sexual relations from his wife, as is the custom. All the priests, while serving, could not have sexual relations with their wives. And they cast lots to determine what the job will be of the priests how they are to serve. And it so happens that Zechariah is chosen to offer incense in the temple, in the second most holy place, there before the Holy of Holies. This is a unique and great honor. It happens only once in the life of a priest. So you can imagine, this is the pinnacle, the culmination of what this man's ministry is all about, is offering this incense What a great and holy day. The priest would go in, offer the incense before the Holy of Holies, and come out to greet all the people there praying, and he would bless them. And so Zechariah goes into the temple, and he starts to offer his incense. And he's confronted there by an angel, but not just any angel, the angel Gabriel. Now, this is pretty important because the angel Gabriel has a very unique role in salvation history. You see, the angel Gabriel was one who actually announced the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. 
And here he is in the New Testament announcing he's here. He's on both sides of this Messiah coin. That's pretty unique. In fact, we're going to talk about this here shortly. I had promised you that I would show you how Daniel 9, 20 and following relates to the advent, not just the death of our Lord. And although I had no winners on the contest, I'll still share that with you. I think you'll really like that. But we see here that it says in verse 8, Luke 8, Luke 1, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, it fell to him by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he shall drink no wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now that's pretty critical right there. We heard that in the Old Testament. Malachi, in fact that they would send one before him, a messenger crying out in the wilderness who would make straight the ways for the Lord, sent in the spirit of Elijah. And so we see the fulfillment here in Luke's gospel by this angel, Gabriel, who comes before the very face of God down there in the Holy of Holies, there before Zechariah the priest, offering incense before the people telling him that his son, John, now wait a minute, my son, we have no kids, we're old people now. I'm going to have a son? Are you sure? And furthermore, my son is going to usher in the Messiah? That's like double whammy time. I'm surprised the guy didn't kill over of a heart attack. I mean, there's a lot going on. You see, this is what most people don't understand. We read scripture like 21st century Western Americans. We must stop that. We must read this as 1st century Jews. That's the trick. Why? Why is that so important? What do I mean? The angel is saying things to Zechariah that he would have clearly understood, clearly known, and he would have immediately his mind would have raced back to all of those Old Testament passages. You see, these first century Jews would have had more Bible knowledge than you and I could ever dream of. Why? Because their whole faith depended upon it. Now, I know what you're saying. You think, well, these guys, they messed it all up. They never got it right. They never fulfilled God's law in ways. They were always stiff-necked people. He was having to cast them into exile. Yes, but their sanctity, their, their 
holiness, their righteousness, does not depend on their ability to communicate their own tradition and faith. They didn't have a bunch of people who can read and write. They couldn't download e-books onto their iPhones or audio copies of the Torah. They had to teach it. They had to communicate it through catechesis, which is actually the Greek word we actually see in the Old and New Testaments, which refers to how they communicated the faith. So they had to live this faith in such a way that it could be communicated down through the generations, passing on their traditions. Now, here in the United States, we have no concept of this. We don't, we just barely communicate from one generation to the next. We've lost so much of that. But if you go to other places in the world, third country uh, worlds, for example, for example, places like Africa, there, they communicate their traditions and their families from one generation to the next. It's passed down from father to son. The father of the home would teach his family. Mary is the same way. Mary would have heard all of these Old Testament prophecies, all of these Old Testament stories, countless times over and over again. She would have known them. She possesses them in her heart. So like Zechariah, he's listening to this angel tell him about this prophecy. That his son, that he would have a son, which is pretty phenomenal, since his wife is beyond childbearing age. There's an obstacle, huge one right there. And then furthermore, I'm going to have a son, but he's going to usher in the Messiah. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Huge, huge, huge. Zechariah would have definitely understood what was going on. But here's his response. In verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I love that. I just love that part right there. I'm Gabriel. I mean, what's it going to take, Zachariah? Here you have an angel standing before you, one who, who actually serves before God himself. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us the temple is an earthly shadow of a heavenly reality. And like the priests who serve in the temple, in heaven, it's the angels. They serve like priests, ministers to the throne in heaven. Gabriel serves at that throne in heaven. And so he comes down and he's fiery. Why? Because he stands before the very face of God, who is a refiner's fire, which is always why we see in the Bible when they encounter angels, the the angel has to say, do not be afraid. It's okay. Peace be with you. And they have to impart the peace of God, which is kind of like reconciliation with God. That kind of peace, not just an absence of conflict but true peace and reconciliation with God. They have to impart that on the people that they encounter because their image is so frightening. Why? Because their image is so pure. And we're everything but pure. And so when we see purity, it frightens us. But that image was not enough to convince this old priest of what this angel's telling him could come to pass. Still, this priest doubts this angel. So he says, I am Gabriel, who stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day 
that these things come to pass, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he made signs to them, and remained dumb. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months she hid herself, saying, Thus the Lord has done to me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So that's the first scene. That sets the stage. We have an angel, fiery angel, in the temple before a priest offering up prayers, incense, supplication on behalf of the people. And we have this priest who doubts. He doesn't believe this could happen. Oh, Zachariah, aren't all things possible through God? But I'm old, he says. It's been so long. I have yet to have a child. And yet I'm going to have a child, and this child is going to be ushering in. He's going to be linked so intimately with the Messiah? Me? Are you sure? Maybe you didn't check your Google map correctly. Maybe your nav system is off and you've landed at the wrong temple. <laughs> Maybe you just got the wrong priest. Maybe when I when I was casting lots, I used some some trick weighted die and I you know even though Zachariah doubts. Still God presses forward. Still God honors his word, his end of the bargain. And God has to sort of discipline Zachariah for his lack of faith trusting in this process even though it was spelt out to him and so it's part of his own personal conversion his own personal journey to accept what he knows God has given him and for the next nine months Zachariah in silence contemplates this whole process what his son will be his son will be one of the special prophets of the Old Covenant. The last, as far as what we know. The last considered by the people to be a prophet. He secludes himself, this John the Baptist. He hangs out in the desert. As far as we know, he has no, he has no, no wife, no children. He remains chaste. Chaste for the Lord. He's completely devoted to the Lord. He is filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. So before he's even born, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like Our Lady, when she was immaculately conceived. I talked about that on the last podcast. You should check that out. But now we're ready to go into the other part of the story. Now the angel Gabriel comes back. And now he makes the announcement of the Messiah. He's laid the foundation, he's got the ball rolling with John, now it's time to come and bring our Lord to announce his his arrival. Because the Lord wasn't here just simply on the day of his birth in a cave in Bethlehem, no. Our Lord takes on humanity at the very instant he is conceived in the womb of our Blessed Virgin Mother. 
That's so critical for us to realize that. That our salvation begins at conception, not at birth, or not even at death. It wasn't when our Lord died that our salvation was complete. It was the process from conception to resurrection to ascension. To our cooperation with the grace that He gave to us that we didn't merit, that He gives to us as a gift. A gift. A gift. The gift of salvation at this Christmas time. This is what the angel Gabriel comes to announce. And so we see this. In verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. Now notice here, she's not troubled. She's not troubled at the sight of the presence of this angel. Not like Zechariah, and not like the shepherds that we're going to see. No. What troubles her? What troubles her is the saying. I think that's very interesting. The saying troubles her. Why? Because for the first time, this angel addresses this person, not by a proper name, not by Mary. He, he addresses her by a title. A title and it comes from the Greek. The Greek word used here is kekaritomene, which is often translated into English as full of grace. Sometimes you might even see highly favored one. But these lack in the technicality of this word. They don't really express its full meaning and its intention. And I made this point on the last show. This word refers to the fact that Mary was endowed with the grace of God from her conception, is now full of grace, and will always be full of grace. There's a timeline implied here. Also, this word is unique because, again, like I said, it was used as a title, like, Hail, the President of the United States. This angel, who stands before the very face of God, comes down, addresses this teenage girl as the full of grace, the highly favored one, the kekaritomene. Very, very critical, very important, must remember that. And I've said that many times on the show. But that's interesting. She's not scared like Zachariah and the, sh- and the sheep herders. No, she's okay with that. Why? Because she's, she has no sin. She's immaculately conceived. God has held her clear and free of the stain of all sin. She's the all-holy according to the Eastern Church. So she doesn't have the same sort of inclination towards fear as we do. Yes, this saying troubles her because she is humble, because she is free to serve God. She is more free to serve God due to the fact that she has no inclination towards sin than you and I do, who are inclined to sin. We have that original sin. Yes, we've been baptized and it's been washed away, but we still have concupiscence, which is that inclination to sin. We really want to sin. Mary didn't have that problem. And therefore, she was free to serve and worship God. And she was humble because that's a proper response to God. 
is in humility. And so, it's a very interesting point that she doesn't respond the way others do. But yet, oh Mary, did you know? Did you have any clue what was going on here? Yes. Yes, she did. And we're going to talk about that. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Yeshua, meaning he saves his people. In verse 32, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? Now, again, very critical point, must understand this. The angel just laid out the basic plan. She's going to conceive and bear a son. She's a virgin. And she's going to conceive and bear a son, as announced by an angel. We heard a verse in the Old Testament sort of referred to this, didn't it? Isaiah 7.14 And this son will be the son of the Most High. Now, in first century Israelite culture, when you equate anything, well, when you, let me put it this way. When you say you're the son of God, you're equating yourself to God. You become equal to God. You're saying you're God. This is the one thing that got Jesus killed. It wasn't his claim to be Messiah. There were many claims to being Messiah. It wasn't even his claim to being the king of the Jews. Even Pilate tossed that one out. No, what gets him killed? What gets him killed is his claim to be the son of the Most High, to be equal to God, to being God. Mary would have known this. Mary would have absolutely have understood this is the case, even if she is a, just a teenage girl. Because she's not like any teenage girl that you and I know. She has no iPod. She's not off doing her own things on the phone at night with her friends from school for four hours every night, gossiping about the next football game, what she's going to wear to the prom. <laughs> That's not how they live. That's not their culture. So we are completely detached you know, socially, from what this culture was like. We can't even fathom teenagers who actually are so involved in their own family, so living and breathing in their culture, that they would have absolutely understood all those Old Testament passages. They would have known them. They would have known all the stories, including our Blessed Virgin Mary. And she, hearing this angel tell her that this child will be conceived in her womb, that he will be the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will be that Messiah promised in the Old Testament that you and I heard that comes from the branch of the stump of Jesse. The scepter of Judah shall not depart from it forever. And from his kingdom there shall be no end. And so how does uh, Mary respond to all this? Does she say, like Zechariah? I'm just a little girl, and uh, that's, I, no, I, I just don't see how that's possible. I, I'm sorry, but um, 
I really had intentions on going to college and getting a job and and really making something of myself. I really don't have time for this whole bearing God into the world business. <laughs> no. She's not... She doesn't respond in doubt. It's interesting how she responds. How can this be? For I have no husband. This is not a statement of her ignorance. Quite the opposite. Mary has given an oath of virginity to God Almighty. She swore an oath to God, and God has acknowledged that oath, and she is betrothed in a marriage. Now, if you read Numbers 30, you can actually see how there was this mechanism in this first century society, and even well before that, of how a woman can consecrate her virginity to God and her husband. On the day that he hears of it, if he accepts it, she is bound to it. But if he does not, then she is loosed from her obligation. Mary is a sworn virgin, and so she doesn't question the plan. She doesn't even question the fact that there should be a Messiah, or that he'll be the son of God and he'll inherit the throne of his father David, and the kingdom will be forever. That's not what she questions. She's not even, she's not even acting stupid as to what? Huh? Messiah who? Son of the Most High how? She's only saying, by what mechanism will this happen? I'm okay with it. I'm good to go. But how is this going to happen? Because as you know, Gabriel, I've already sworn an oath of my virginity to God Almighty, which he's accepted that. So how, how are we going to proceed forward? That's all. And what's the angel's response? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow. What's the last time we heard about the Holy Spirit overshadowing anything? Exodus. There in the tabernacle. What overshadowed what? The Holy Spirit overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant. Where? In the Holy of Holies. There. In the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant. Our Blessed Lady is the new Ark of the Covenant. And she will conceive by the Holy Spirit which will overshadow her. These are red flag moments for first century Jews. They hear this, they're automatically thinking Exodus. They're automatically thinking salvation history. They're automatically relating to the fact that she is that virgin that was prophesied in Isaiah 7. She is the Ark of the New Covenant that was spoken of in Exodus, that was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She is the Ark of the New Covenant that in 2 Samuel 6 that can be compared directly blow for blow in Luke 1. She understands what the Son of the Most High means. She understands what, you know, the promise of the line of David enduring forever and the Messiah coming from David. She would have gotten that. Absolutely. Would she have known? Mary, did you know? Yes. Mary did know. Did she know that her son would walk on water? No. But she would have remembered Moses saying to the people that a prophet will come after me who is greater than I. Moses walked through the Red Sea. Jesus walks on water. She would have known that her son would do greater things than the prophet Moses. So she knows a lot more than we let on. A lot more than we allow her. You know, in verse 36, the angel provides a sign for her. Mary didn't ask for a sign. Unlike Zechariah, who's asking for signs, Mary doesn't ask for a sign. And yet, the angel gives her one anyway. What's the sign? It's her kinswoman. 
Elizabeth, who in her old age conceived a son. Now, this was important. Mary would have understood that this woman who was barren, who can now has conceived a son, and this angel has told her about it, this is miraculous. God has now overcome two major obstacles to salvation history. A barren woman who was well past birthing age has now conceived the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. A virgin, a consecrated virgin to God has now conceived the Savior of the world. Two obstacles, God has overcome both. God will not be circumvented when it comes to the will of God in salvation history. Yes, he laid all the cards on the table and he gave this teenage girl the power to undo it all. He put it all on Mary and let it ride. This teenage girl had in her hands yours and mine, our salvation. How powerful an image is that? And she said, What? Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Now Mary made haste. She got up. She went out to see her cousin. This is a teenage girl making her way on her own to see her kinswoman, Elizabeth. Many, many, many miles away from her hometown to be with her. And there we see this episode of Elizabeth greeting her and feeling her child stir within her womb. And she greets our blessed lady, blessed are you among women, and calls her and says to her, how is it that the mother of my Lord, kurios, she uses the Greek word kurios, who in this context means God, how is it the mother of my God comes to me? She says this filled with the Holy Spirit. This is inspiration that you and I can trust in. We can count on it. And Mary goes on to this, to express this magnificat that is so wonderful and so full of Old Testament revelation coming to pass here on the pages of the New Testament. Now we're running out of time, so I just want to emphasize one point here. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, for God is my Savior. And he has picked me up from my loneliness. I'm paraphrasing here. These are very important statements. You see, Mary is depicted as being a humble little girl. And I already said that because she is without sin, she is free to serve God perfectly. And that's the, the perfect response to God, is to be humble before him. How can we be proud and arrogant before, the, before God? So we humble ourselves. And that's exactly what Mary did. She humbles herself. She recognizes in her humility her place being important, absolutely. But still gives it all over to God. Because God is her Savior. Now in the song it says, Mary, did you know that one day this child that you delivered will one day deliver you? I hate to tell you this, but she is already delivered. She was delivered from her immaculate conception, free from the stain of all sin. Jesus, her son, delivered her before she was even born. And yes, she knew that because she says it right here. That God is her savior. 
And the other statement, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is not a humble statement. This is a proud statement, a confident statement. I don't mean proud negatively. I mean proud positively. She is a disciple of Christ, her own son, a true servant of God, because she's, her soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I can tell you from my own personal experience that my soul does not magnify the Lord. I have the benefit of hindsight, of reading the entire gospel, the entire Bible, knowing its salvation history and its end times scenario. I have the benefit of seeing everything in hindsight. The song Mary Did You Know assumes that Mary didn't. Yet I, who have this benefit, can tell you that my soul does not magnify the Lord like hers does. I try, but I fail in comparison, which is why I beg her to pray for me all the time. Mary did know. Mary did know. She did. She would have reflected on all of these passages. She would have reflected on Isaiah and Malachi and Jer- Jeremiah and the Psalms and in Genesis. And she would have reflected on all of this and she would have held it on her heart. Just as it says here in Luke's Gospel in 2.19. So Mary, did you know? Did you know who this baby was in your arms? I say yes. I say yes, she knew. I say yes, that when she said yes, she did so knowing what was being asked of her. And so when the time came, it just happens that there was a decree put out that all had to be enrolled in their, in their city of their family. Is it a census? We're not exactly sure. But Caesar Augustine apparently decreed this according to Luke. Maybe the taxes were going to be upped, and they just wanted to know who was there and so they can tax them appropriately. But this is the mechanism by which Joseph brings Mary down to Bethlehem, the city of David, the house of bread, the literal translation, from Nazareth, which in its literal translation means branch town, both very significant in salvation history. Why? Because branch branch. The Messiah is the branch from the stump of Jesse, a reference to the line of David. Now, you can't find Nazareth mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament, even though St. Matthew says that the prophecy to be fulfilled, that the Messiah must come from Nazareth. You can't find that in the Old Testament, but St. Matthew says it anyway. There is reason to believe that when the people of Israel of Judah and specifically came back from the Babylonian exile that the line of David actually, instead of going back to Bethlehem, went to Nazareth. Now, why would they do that? Well, let's just say it wasn't good business in those days to be known as the heir to the throne, the royal throne of Israel, of Judah in particular. People didn't really like challenges to authority. And so if you were of the line of David and all you wanted to do was live a quiet little life, well, you might stir up trouble if you go back to the very town that you're from, i.e. Bethlehem, which is where David was anointed and coronated as king. So they went north. They went to and established 
Nazareth. Branchtown, which is also comes from David. To Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary go, even though at first he was going to divorce her because they were legally married. A betrothal is a one-year period before they actually live together, but it's still considered a legal marriage. And when he finds out she's conceived, he's going to let her go. Now, the traditional uh, interpretation of this is he figures someone else got her you know, pregnant and he was just going to let her go. But he was a righteous man. He didn't want to see Mary be executed because that was the punishment for adultery. And so he was going to divorce her quietly and then not, you know, and try to avoid that whole mess. Now, that's the traditional interpretation. But there's another way to interpret this. Maybe Joseph didn't feel he was up to raising the Son of God. Maybe he did know. Maybe he trusted Mary when she said, An angel came to me and the Holy Spirit overshadowed me. Maybe he trusted that that was true and therefore didn't feel like he was up to or capable of raising the very Son of God incarnate. Felt inadequate to the task and so he was going to divorce her quietly. Both are intriguing. And I have no idea which is the correct one. I can only tell you what the traditional one is, what most people say, but there is commentary that I've read that suggests the other. So they make their way to the city of David. Now, it's very interesting to note, this is the very town, as we've said before, where David, the King David, grew up as a shepherd. And he would have shepherded his flock in those very fields. And here, the son of David the one to rule for all eternity, the scepter that does not depart Judah, is born in the same town of David, where shepherds are in their fields with their flock. And because there's no room in the inn, and there actually is an inn, there is a, the ruins of an inn there, or a place where they would have you know, had people come and stay at this time. It would have been very likely that only the rich could have afforded any sort of separate rooms. Most people would have just stayed in an open courtyard with their animals and camped out. But it would have been sort of barricaded around and and uh, given some sort of uh, safety. There was no room. It was packed. These people were coming to register for the census. So what's available? The manger. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's a cave. It's not a wooden barn as we often see in our nativity scenes, mine included. (laughs) I need to make a cave. But it's a cave. A cave in the hillside. Very commonly used in that period to house animals. Perfect. If you're a shepherd trying to get your animals out of, say, inclement weather, you take them into the, the cave. It becomes a great barn. That's where our Lord is born. In the caves, in front of these fields of shepherds with their flocks lying in a manger, food for the beasts, who becomes food for us. And we like, we're like beasts when we sin. So what a perfect metaphor here. Born in this town that literally means house of bread. Jesus, the true bread, come down from heaven. Bread for us. Lying in a manger, a trough, born in the shepherd's town. And in those fields were the very sheep that were raised specifically for sacrifice in the temple. Sin offerings. Our Lord, who was offered 
there in the temple. He was offered by the high priest, given over to Pontius Pilate on behalf of the sins of the entire people. How funny that is. That here in this little quiet town, on this silent night, there, in front of those shepherds, come a choir of angels. And in that region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. Wow, what an image. Can you imagine you're the shepherd there with your flock at night, and all of a sudden you're greeted by this fiery image of this perfect, pure image of this angel. And he's telling you that this baby is going to be born right here under your noses. And he's going to redeem your people, all people. And then all of a sudden, not only were you just scared because of one angel, now imagine the multitude of angels, just like Hebrews 12.1, we're constantly surrounded. Talk about fear. I'm surprised they didn't drop dead. It must have been a miracle by God. But that's what I'm talking about. In this place, the house of bread, where the sheep, were raised specifically to be sacrificed on behalf of the people. There is the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who one day will be sacrificed for all the sins of every human person everywhere of all time. There, the true bread come down from heaven, born in the house of bread, lying in a feeding trough, pointing us to the day when we will consume him and become one with our God. This gift announced by an angel, the present of salvation, wrapped and presented to us. What a gift. What a gift. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see, Mary was pondering all of this in her heart. Well, how do we know that Mary was pondering this in her heart? How do we have the slightest clue that that statement is true? Well, if you back up all the way to the beginning of Luke's gospel, he actually tells us that he went out of his way to give an accurate account. 
And out of all the Gospels, Luke's Greek is by far the most precise. He's clearly an educated person, knows how to write. And so when he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. Well, what witnesses could he have interviewed? How about our Blessed Lady? That's the tradition that Luke sat at the feet of our Blessed Lady. Well, how do we know that might be true? All you got to do is read Acts and know that our Blessed Lady was right there with the apostles in the upper room. She was with them, mothering them. So, Clearly, Luke would have asked her about this narrative. This is where he would have gotten all of his information. And so when he says that she would have pondered all of this in her heart, there in the second chapter, we believe it. So Mary, did you know? Did you know who this baby was? Yes. She knew. How much more does it take for her to realize what's going on here? An angel comes to meet her personally, lays out the plan, all the way from salvation history, referencing all of those Old Testament quotes that you and I talked about. Shepherds who also receive this vision from the heavens come and also witness to her and Joseph of what this child is all about. And now she ponders it in her heart. She understands She is pondering all those Old Testament prophecies and citations. She's thinking about what that Messiah will one day do. And so what's the next scene? In St. Luke's Gospel, it's the circumcision and the rite of purification and offering sacrifice in the temple. In St. Matthew's Gospel, it's the visitation of the three kings, as we like to say, or the Magi, as it's referenced there in St. Matthew's Gospel. And then it's the flight out into Egypt after the massacre of the innocents. I'm only going to briefly talk about this because I am going very long now. But just to reference those three kings, now there's a timeline sort of deficiency here that we see, in most cases, we see The tradition says that they came that night. But if you really look at the timeline and the text in St. Matthew's Gospel, it really doesn't suggest that. So there's an alternative um, timeline that says that maybe the kings or the magi saw the star rise on the birth of our Lord and then journeyed at that point. And it was sometime later that they actually met up with him. Well, how can we say that? Well, for instance, in Matthew chapter 2, In verse 7, it says, Then King Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, 
See, it's what time did that star arise? Now later, after the kings come and present the frankincense, the gold, and the myrrh, by which we see that Jesus is a king, he's presented gold, he's divine. Frankincense is used in worshiping God. Myrrh. Now myrrh, on the other hand, has two unique purposes to it. They used to take myrrh, add it to the oil, and then anoint priests, pointing to Jesus being a priest. He's the divine, he is a king, and he's a priest. But myrrh is also used to anoint the dead for burial. And so it also points to the ultimate gift, the gift of his life on the cross. So there's a lot packed up into this. Now, interesting enough is this star that they saw that that led them to come to Israel, these Gentiles coming to worship. We already had the shepherds, the lowest of Israelite Judean society coming to worship. Now we have these Gentiles coming, signifying that Jesus' kingdom is not only eternal, as the angel said it would be, but it's for all. But also this star. It says in this commentary that I read, it says the star recalls Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. In Numbers 24, 17, Balaam predicted, A star shall come forth out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Herod, now Herod was the Edomite, and he was troubled. In Matthew's text here, it says he was troubled by this baby king. Competition. Now, Herod had already knocked off his favorite wife and three of his sons. He was, he was ruling with an iron fist in, in Judea. Now, he wasn't even a real Israelite or Judean king. He wasn't from the line of David. He wasn't even Jewish. He was installed as king by the Roman Curia. He was an Edomite. And in Numbers 24, 18, the prophecy speaking of the star will say, Edom shall be dispossessed. Herod sees what's going on here. He asked, he made the priest come and tell him, what is the deal? Where is this Messiah to come from? Is he supposed to be king? And they tell him it's going to happen from Bethlehem. And so when he's enraged, when these wise men don't return to him afterwards, so what does he do? He sends out the guard to massacre the innocents in Bethlehem. Based on the timeline that he ascertained from the wise men previously, it was two years and younger. So it's possible it could have taken up to two years for these Gentiles to find their way to the Messiah, born in Bethlehem. So that's why we have a little discrepancy in the timeline. But interesting is he he kills these babies, about 25 they say. This is analogous to when Moses was born. Born under uh, the rule of a ruthless pharaoh who also ordered the death of innocent male children. Moses escaped their death blows, just like Jesus escapes the death blow of Herod, this ruthless king. Because Joseph was warned in a dream. Now Joseph is the son of Jacob, of the line of David. And Joseph receives dreams from heaven above. Just like another Joseph in the Old Testament, who was also the son of Jacob, who also receives dreams from heaven above. You see the parallels there? This is fulfillment of Old Testament typology. Very, very important. But there's another kind of interesting contrast. King David himself, 
He also escaped a ruthless king by going into exile, into the wilderness. And this ruthless king, he also killed innocents. Who did he kill? Babies? No, he killed priests. Very interesting, these parallels. They're worth digging into. You should dive deep. And so Joseph takes Jesus and Mary into Egypt to fulfill that prophecy that we heard, that from Egypt, I will call my son Israel. Jesus is the new Moses. He is that prophet that Moses himself spoke of, that we heard that will be greater. And Mary kept all this, pondering all this in her heart. She knew her son would be greater than Moses. She knew that her son would do miracles beyond all that had been imagined up until this point. And she knew that her son would one day redeem all of mankind. How? Would she not have known Psalm 22? Would she not have known the suffering servant in Isaiah? She would have seen those passages speaking of how they pierced his hands and his feet. And they beat him mercilessly. She would have known all that. She would have pondered all that. Especially when she takes this child after 40 days into the temple to not only be cleansed and be purified according to the law for herself, because according to the law, it required 40 days for that firstborn male child for the mother to become pure again. But they offered that sacrifice according to the law in the temple on behalf of God to redeem the firstborn son. And there Simeon and Anna greet them. And what does Simeon say? Behold the Messiah. The Spirit provoked him that day to come. And he sees and he lays eyes on this child and he says, Now, my Lord, you can dismiss me because my eyes have seen the coming of the Lord. And he looks up at Mary. Not only does he say that this child will be responsible for the rise and for the fall of many in Israel, but that a sword will pierce her heart too. Don't you think that those words would have resonated in her soul for years to come, pondering all of the Old Testament passages about what would be required of her son for salvation purposes? Isaiah, Psalm 22. She would have pondered all that and thought about this sword. So maybe she didn't know every detail, but she knew more than we allow her to know. And she kept it all in her heart. All right, I've gone really long on this one, so I I apologize. But there was just so much meat here. I couldn't resist the urge to really talk about a lot of those juicy parts. Now, I wish I could have actually gone into more detail. But I'm going to have to leave that for you. Maybe another day. Maybe some feedback from you. Now, there was feedback I actually wanted to share and play on the show but I'm going to forego it because of the length of the show at this point. However, I did promise you that I would reveal to you how Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 and following was related to the advent of our Lord. Now, many of you who responded to me, and many of you did, said, no, Joe, I'm sorry, but it's not related to his advent. It's related to his death. Now, if you're not familiar with Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 and following, what's being spoken of here is a prophecy from the angel Gabriel to Daniel. 
Now, I'm not going to read this to you, but I want you to read it. Go read Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 and following. And then I want you to read Luke chapter 1 and 2. It's very important. How are they related? Well, a couple of points just right off the bat. Gabriel. Gabriel links these two together. Gabriel is this angel who also who gets to, in salvation history, say, hey, the Messiah is coming. Then he gets to go to the other side of the coin and say, hey, the Messiah is here. How unique is that? So there is a link right there with the advent because the angel Gabriel is the one giving the visions and giving the messages. Number two, Daniel, what is he doing when he's confronted with this in, this image of this angel? He's praying for his sins and the sins of all the people. When? At the hour of the evening sacrifice. That's very interesting. He's offering supplications on behalf of the people. Just like who? Just like Zechariah in Luke 1. There when the angel came to him, what was he doing? Offering incense, supplication on behalf of all the people. At when? The evening hour of sacrifice. Just like Daniel. It's very interesting. Now, it doesn't say that Zechariah was in the evening. However, when he came out, he went home. So I'm going to assume that they just didn't let him off just because they couldn't talk or they had any visions. But could be just a guess. But the point is, they're linked in those two ways right off the bat. Very basic. You can see those clear as day. But here's the juicy morsel that I really wanted to share with you. And I'm going to skip right to the chase because of the time here. I wanted you to look at the time, the 70 weeks. Now you're saying, Joe, hold on. The 70 weeks are 70 weeks of years, 490 years. And again, they refer to his death, not his birth. That's true in one sense. But as we all know from the catechism and just plain reading scripture, that prophecy is fulfilled in multiple ways. There is the here and the now. There is a future event. And there could be even a more a, a future event beyond that. And so Daniel would have been concerned with the literal here and the now. He would have been concerned with the time when his people will be rebuilt. They'll come together once again, back from exile, back from destruction, to rebuild that temple, which they all longed for, which is why he was offering prayers in the first place, because his people were stiff-necked, they lost everything, and they wanted it all back. There's that here and now aspect. Then there's a future event when the temple actually was being rebuilt, which was the very temple Zechariah offered incense in, which when he saw that angel. So yes, I agree. The more uh, traditional interpretation of this is true, that we do look at the death of our Lord for the fulfillment of this passage. But there is a link to the advent. If you sort of take the 70 weeks, forget about the years for a moment. Just look at 70 weeks. You get 490 days. Well, if you look at the timeline in Luke chapter 1, going starting in Luke 1, going into Luke chapter 2, from the time the angel announces the birth of John until the time that Jesus is presented in the temple for sacrifice when Simeon and Anna come to meet him there, what do you got? You get 490 days. You get six months from one annunciation to the next, and then you get another three months of, of Mary being with Elizabeth, there's six months after that of Mary's own pregnancy and travel to Bethlehem. And then you get 40 days, the waiting period, according to the law in Leviticus, that Mary had to wait before she could go into the temple and be purified and offer those sacrifices for our Lord as a baby. Well, how 
first of all, there's no, there's no mistake here. Okay. There's no coincidence. There's no happenstance that does not exist in scripture. This is God breathed. If there is the slightest little detail here, it's there for a reason. If it's 490 days and it is because in the Jewish calendar at that day, a month was 30 days, 29 and a half technically, but they rounded up to 30 days. So a month was 30 days. And if you have 16 months and 10 days, you've got 490 days, which is what we have in that timeline. So there's no coincidence there. There's no mistaking it. This was ushering in that prophecy, showing us that Jesus fulfills this prophecy. Maybe not completely and fully at this advent, but someday he will at his cross. Yes, I agree. But how interesting is it that this same angel who gave us this prophecy in the Old Testament now links us to it in the New. He comes again and at his advent and shows us that at his birth, at his annunciation, at his birth, and at his presenting in the temple, Jesus being in the temple by himself purifies it. He is the pure offering. So dive deep on that nugget, and I'd love to hear your feedback. Give me a call at 713-568-6277. I have really, really gone too long, and I'm going to wrap it up now. And I'm wishing you a very Merry Christmas. I want to give special thanks to Magnatune.com for all the music that I was able to bring into the show that I hope gave it some sort of spice and background entertainment. And so I hope you enjoyed that. I would love to hear from you about this show. Please stop by my blog at www.catholichack.com and leave me your your feedback. You can call me on my feedback line, 713-568-6277. You can send me an email at catholichack at gmail.com. Post comments on the blog. You can follow me on Twitter at catholic underscore hack. So come and find me. I'm easy to get a hold of. I also want to thank everybody who has recently left me a review on iTunes. As you know, I was sort of falling behind a bit in the standing there, and I had received my first very negative feedback on iTunes. And so I really appreciate all who stepped up to help boost my ranking once again in iTunes. I could really use your help there. If you've not left reviews, please do so. But more importantly, ask for subscriptions. Ask people to subscribe to this podcast. It's free on iTunes. And it's the greatest way to help other people find this show when they've never heard of it before. And even when they're not even looking for it, that's the best way to sort of spread the word is subscriptions and reviews on iTunes. So once again, thank you for that support. And you know what? I really pray that this Christmas that you find the gift that Christ came to give us, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of all that journey through Scripture has come to us, lying in a manger, food for the journey, food for everlasting life, the true Lamb who takes away all the sins of the world, there in this little town in Bethlehem. May God richly bless you. I'm praying for you, so please pray for me. God bless. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.